0: Well, thank you, Clint. Uh, I've been looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to being um, back at Christ Church and with Christ Church. Uh, we're thankful for your pastors. Um, I see familiar faces out here and many new faces as well. Um, so I'm thankful for uh, this opportunity. I'll um, just say a few words about uh, myself so you know who's up in front of you. Um, my wife Sarah and I have been married for uh, 23 years, right? Enough that you, you have to do the math and make sure. Um, 23 years, we have four kids. Uh, two of them are in college. They're away uh, in Kentucky at a college there. And uh, two are in high school, a senior and a junior. Three girls and a boy in that order. Um, and by God's grace, um, they're great kids. We're thankful. Uh, we, we always say uh, our kids have thus far turned out Far better than our parenting deserves, uh, so we 're not here as as experts uh, we 're we're practitioners, um, learners like Clint was just talking about and um, and yeah by god 's grace our, our kids are all baptized and trusting the Lord and um, doing well but um, but that is indeed god's god 's grace. Uh, let me begin with some Feelings or experiences that might be expected or might be normal in the course of this morning. And I have a list of C's, five C words. Uh, You might experience some conviction this morning. Conviction about mistakes, about wrong-headed directions or habits or failures. Um, You might find comfort afresh in the gospel uh, as that applies to your mistakes or even your sins. Uh, hopefully, you will grow in confidence, that is, fresh confidence in God's ways uh, from his word. Perhaps you will um, make correction. Uh, maybe there'll be something that you need to do, something you need to change. Um, and then a, a fifth C would be commitment, perhaps You'll go away with a fresh reinvigoration, um, a new resolve to really get back to that or or something along those lines. So I think these are these are common and reoccurring feelings, not just for a parenting seminar, but for parenting. Um, and, and so hopefully those are all really familiar to you already if you're a parent. Uh, and don't be surprised if this morning there's a, a new experience of any or all of those, um, and, and if it's conviction, well, just don't stay there. This is sort of, there's a progression to those C's that I just gave. And, um, you can also think in terms of what they say in the business world is a competency pyramid. Has anyone heard of that? So if you're taking notes, do this. Draw a triangle and then break it into four levels, so three lines across. So at the top of this pyramid, there's this category uh, of being unconsciously competent. Unconsciously competent. So as this this would apply to parenting, it would be those parents that somehow they just have these instincts. It wasn't even their parents that told them what to do or taught them very well. It's just that they, they, they get kids, they get parenting, and they're not even really good at telling you what you should do. They're just good at it. Those people are rare birds, uh, but they're out there, and they are unconsciously competent. Then moving down, there's another category of those who are consciously competent, and they've worked to get there. You don't get there by nature. It doesn't just happen. Uh, But there are those who know how this works because they've been working at it and thinking about it for a long time. Um, Below that would be another category we could call consciously incompetent. You're aware that you don't know. You're aware um, of some shortcomings and weaknesses. And then below that would be those who are unconsciously incompetent. They don't know. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know what they're doing wrong. They don't know there's any better way to do it than what they're doing. Some of you are actually in that bottom category. But here's the really good news. Today, you're going to make some progress as you move up this ladder, this triangle, into the next rung, into that category of being consciously incompetent. And then from there, you take more steps forward, right? So, so be encouraged. If you're at the bottom level of this, um, today you, you will, I believe, make some Progress, And that's the goal in our parenting. None of us are perfect in our parenting. Uh, the goal in our parenting is to, to grow, just like God would have us grow in any other part of our lives, especially our Christian lives. Uh, you may have seen in an email or in your notes, we've got a, a few categories. We're going to talk about the discipline of our children first. Then second session would be the instruction of our children Uh, In Drew Hodge, uh, my friend is here with me, he was gonna do a 20 minute or so little bit on family worship within that second session. Um, And then our third session would be the salvation of our children. Uh, And then from there, we'll break into a Q&A with with my wife and, and myself. And uh, and so I'd encourage you if you would, if you have any questions, um, it'd probably be better if we don't interrupt and and just get through material uh, at first. So just jot down questions and we'll have at least a half hour at the end uh, for you to not just ask me, but even better to ask my wife who um, is smarter than I am and more equipped in these areas even than I am. So this first session is the discipline of our children and this will be the longest of these sessions. Not because it's the most important, but because it's the hardest. It's the one I think that we tend to neglect um, or avoid. Um, I think it's the most needed of them all, perhaps especially in our culture today. But listen to Proverbs 19:18, or turn there if you would, if you have a Bible with you. Proverbs 19, 18, this is gonna be our theme verse for this first session on the discipline of our children. It says discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Discipline your son for there's hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. In Proverbs this word discipline comes up a lot Uh, The Hebrew word musar, it's a really broad term. You know, linguists would say it has a broad semantic range. So it can mean anything from uh, teaching and encouraging, instructing, reproving, correcting, um, rebuking, or even uh, chastening and punishing. So sometimes in Proverbs, discipline is clearly verbal, and sometimes in Proverbs, discipline is clearly physical. And so I'll, uh, I'll adopt that same kind of distinction and overlap this morning. So as I talk about discipline, I'm not just talking about corporal punishment or spanking, although eventually I will, and I'll try to make it clear when we're talking about the general thing and when we're talking about um, something more specific. I have six theses related to discipline number one discipline assumes a problem and a goal or goals it assumes a problem that problem in a word is sin so I'll just rattle off some proverbs for you proverbs 22 verse 15 folly is bound up in the heart of a child it's a general statement, right? Every child, any child, they have folly bound up in their heart. That's the way they're born. Proverbs fourteen twelve: There is a way which seems right to a man. That's the sinful way. But its end is the way of death. So, so we're born that way thinking that feels right, that seems right, and it's not. Proverbs 29, 15, a child who gets his own way, or literally it's a, a child left to himself, brings his mother much shame. So children cannot be left to themselves. And one more proverb, nineteen eighteen, as we already said, discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. So what's before us as parents is indeed an uphill battle, to say the least. Doing nothing to our kids leads to their destruction, even eternal destruction in the worst of cases. So parenting is more like rolling a stone up a hill every day more like that than nudging a stone that just rolls downhill. Our kids do not roll downhill towards the Lord. Uh, they are they, they're needing to be pushed and directed and even with great energy and effort. Now, of course, we all know any parent who has more than one kid knows that the kids aren't the same, right? No two kids are the same. They're different. Some, some are worse than others. Some are sinful and more sinful than some others, and they're more difficult perhaps. So we know that. Kids are different. Um, And there is a time to lean into the reality of those differences. Um, There is a time to recognize this works for Sally and it doesn't work for Jimmy. Jimmy. And i got to figure out Jimmy. Jimmy's a tough nut to crack, and so Sally was easy. There's a time to lean into and really focus on uh, the differences between our kids. But, but there's also a time to be cautious of thinking, um, oh, that's just the way she is. Well, she, He's our head, uh, you know, our hard-headed kid. He's just stubborn. It's just the way he is. Well, that... That's probably leaning into it a little too much then, isn't it? It's it's leaning into the fatalism of it. Um, There's a time to not just talk about their personalities, but to also acknowledge what's behind that behavior and call it what it is, sin. Uh, The sin of our kids just tends to look differently, one kid to another, but, but behind it in their heart is sin. But there's hope. Remember the proverb, 29, i sorry, 1918, discipline your son for there's hope. So there's some goals. So we're still under point number one out of six. Discipline assumes a problem and a goal or goals. So the goals of discipline, and we could just think of, you know, the biggest and longest lasting goals and work backwards from there. What do we want of our kids? What do we hope for in our kids? What do we we hope to see that our parenting results in? Well, in the biggest picture of things, we want them saved. We want them eternally saved. We want them with us in a new heaven and a new earth, worshiping King Jesus. Uh, Take it to later in life, before they die, we want them fruitful and flourishing we want them happy worshipful useful human beings in this world for many years of their life if God would give it to them we want them to be a blessing to others we want them to be a blessing to their to their future spouse to their future kids we, we want them to be simply good neighbors and useful in society but but even closer to home, at a moment of discipline, what are we hoping for? In some ways, we're hoping for their safety, that we've intervened because we want them safe. We, we've intervened because that gets you hurt or in trouble. In Some ways, when we are disciplining our kids, whether verbally or physically, um, There's something about just peace happening, right? There there was chaos. Let me try to restore peace to this situation. Let me intervene here for the sake of peace in our home, or even for mom and dad's sanity, right? There's something to that. Now, if that's the primary reason for discipline in your home, you got it wrong. Uh, It's not about just your peace. It's not just about your sanity. But but that's one of the blessings that um, we can certainly find in the book of Proverbs that comes... Out of discipline. So there's a problem and a goal or goal. Secondly, discipline requires parental authority and love. Parental authority and love. And for this, let's turn to Ephesians 6. Would someone read for us, nice and loud, if you would, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4? Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. On someone eventually. There it is. I want to point out four angles to these verses. Notice that, uh, that Christian parents are parents in the Lord. Which means that parents are God-given, which means that their role and their authority, that's God-given. Notice as well that twofold expectation that God places upon children: obedience and honor. and they are directly addressed by Paul. And the Holy Spirit. Children are commanded to obey their parents. So parents can actually expect and require obedience of their kids because God said so, not just because mom and dad said so. And so kids calling that into question, in some ways calls into question God's very word. So at least in our home, you know, those whiny why? Those just were not allowed. There were some things, we'll come back to this, some things that just were not allowed, some things that were, were just off limits, like the word no, you know, a direct uh, statement of rebellion. I mean, that, that just got immediate attention um, on the backside. We'll come to that. In obedience is expected, Well, because God also tells kids to honor mom and dad. And so not just obedience on the outside, but honor in the inside. I'm sure you've seen it. Maybe I'm sure you've seen it in your own home at times where mom and dad, you know, say, all right, clean up toys. No. And then eventually, okay, yes, something shifts. They start to obey, but then... You can just tell in the whole body language, they're obeying on the outside, not on the inside, right? They are just slumping their way and sloughing things around and, well, that, that's it's not honoring mom and dad. And so confrontation um, must happen not just for their physical actions, but also their heart attitudes. Um, frowns and shrugs and you know, rolling of eyes and those sorts of things. Um, Our kids need to know the authority and love that God has given to them in their parents. Uh, Notice in Ephesians 6 that kids can be motivated to obey and honor their parents for their own good, that it may go well with you. You see this in Proverbs, right? This kind of behavior tends to go in this direction and lead to these outcomes, positive or negative. My observation is that more obedient and honorable kids are actually happier at home. Um, Sometimes kids feel like their world is in chaos because, well, it is in chaos. And so there's some, there's some safety and peace and happiness when they're, when the expectations are clear, when mom and dad, um, when their authority is established and it's expected that there's at least an aim to, to honor them. And then notice this phrase in Ephesians 6 that, Parents, and maybe especially dads for whatever reason, they, they can get this skewed, this obedience and honor thing, and they can provoke their children to anger. In other words, exasperate them. And so here we just need to sort of brainstorm together about what, what that might look like. What is provoking your child to anger, or what are ways in which we might do that? Well, inconsistency in our expectations would be a big one and a common one. Inconsistency in our expectations, inconsistency in our discipline. That, that can provoke a child to anger. And then their anger is at least in part our responsibility. It's owing to what we have done. Or perhaps um, when parents put up, put up, put up, And then blow up, right? Who knew when the blow up was coming? Uh, Your kid didn't know that the seventh time they did it, they were going to be in trouble and not the sixth. Uh, Maybe favoritism um, among kids. Unrealistic goals. Uh, Confusing mistakes with sin or childishness with foolishness. Foolishness in Proverbs, that's sinful. That's rebellion. Childishness is, well, they're kids. They, they, you know, they do funny things. Of course, physical abuse would be a way in which we might provoke a child to anger. Um, Mom and dad being on different pages with parenting and discipline. That would be um, cause for frustration in our kids. On and on we can go, um, including a a general tone of negativity in the home, right? Um, A lack of warmth and love in the home can be a means by which we provoke our children to anger. And so I said um, discipline requires parental authority and love. It assumes love, an atmosphere of of safety and affection and warmth and acceptance and discipline then becomes, well it becomes that momentary interruption of that. I'll come back to that in just a bit. A third thesis I have for discipline, we've already basically covered it but I wanna make it explicit, is that discipline is for obedience. It's for obedience. What's your definition in your home for obedience? Obedience is, do you, do you have a saying? And we did in our house, in our home. Um, obedience is immediately, happily, unto the Lord. Right, so delay, that's not obedience. Uh, bad attitude, still doing it with your actions. No, that's, that's not obedience. And unto the Lord, well, that's hard to, to know exactly whether they are doing it unto the Lord in worship or not, but uh, we we at least wanted to, to let them know, remind them frequently that our actions are not just horizontal before mom and dad, but they're vertical before the Lord. I have a friend who, their family has the saying, obedience is right away, all the way, with a happy heart. So if you don't have a definition for obedience and you've got young kids in the house, or you might someday, you need, you need a definition that you say and that they know. It's sort of like a, a catechism or a, a mantra. It's, it's uh, something everyone knows that this is obedience. And hence, if I'm missing one of these parts, it's not obedience. One author used to speak of um, first-time obedience, which really should be a redundancy, right? Obedience should be first-time. It, it's, that's the definition of obedience, 1st Time obedience. In other words, what we're talking about here is, um, well, not counting to three. Okay? So there's actually a really good book. I've got a a few books up here uh, that I'll reference, and one of them is Don't Make Me Count to Three. And if you say, Oh, I bet I'd like that book because I do that all the time. Well, no, this book is going to help you not do that. Okay? This is going to help you not count to three or count to ten. But instead, to expect obedience. Uh, according to the Proverbs and according to Ephesians 6, obedience and honor can be expected and should be required. It doesn't mean we'll bat a thousand by any means. But, but that's what we, we can expect. I think sometimes in parenting, the battle is lost before it ever begins because mom and dad are just sure the three-year-old isn't going to obey this time. You know, it's like, a, it's like the nervous golf player who, you know, he, he knows he's not going to make this chip. He knows he's not going to make this chip. And that's probably a big reason why he didn't make that chip, right? It was already in his head. I think sometimes our kids can sort of sense the, the parental insecurity in the room. You know, dogs know when human beings are nervous, and I think our kids almost have that canine sense. Um, Mom's nervous about me obeying. <laughs> Watch this, right? Here's what this might look like in some practical terms, especially in a parenting uh, situation early on in life. Imagine two families, two different approaches. So family one, um, with their toddler, they've, they've not only taken the, the steps necessary to protect their kids from safety, so you know, um, the Clorox is, is locked away, and you know, perhaps they've used those... Um, uh, those outlet covers the, for the electrical outlets, or you know, a dangerous set of stairs. Perhaps they'll use that, um, you know, that that fence that you can put in place temporarily. So they've not only done that, but they've also done anything else that could be of potential temptation or trouble for their youngster. So th- this little figurine, will make sure it's not down low. Put it up high. There's a way to sort of child-safe your home that removes any and every possible temptation for your child. That's family one. Imagine family two. They not only go through the safety steps, but they they also say, well, well, no, we're not altering our house for our two-year-old. That's going to stay there, and we're going to tell them, no, that's not something you can play with. That's not a toy. Here's a toy. This is not a toy. And so perhaps what, what happens is, You know, you point it out, you tell them no, you see them stare at it, stare at it some more. They begin to fidget with their fingers like, should I, should I do it? You you stand there some more, you you as as their parent, you say, don't do it, don't touch it. And then if they do, there are repercussions for that. That happens enough and you're establishing a bit of a pattern there. So don't think that they can't learn those things. Don't think that you can't expect some things. Don't think um, that they can't uh, control their hands or at least begin to. So don't remove opportunities for obedience and opportunities for correction. Think of it this way, that essentially you're, you're plowing Two rows throughout life as a kid. You're either plowing obedience or disobedience, right? It's either honor or rebellion. Those are two rows that you're going to to plow. And and kids are going to spend time in both of those rows throughout their life, throughout their childhood. But which row is going to get plowed more And then take a deeper groove, right? And become more, well, easier to keep going down. Which one? So so every time there's instruction or correction, there's an opportunity to plow the right row and get deeper in those rows so they're more familiar and more comfortable in them. I call on John Piper for support on this front. He says... In an article you can find online, it's called Parents Require Obedience of Your Children. You can just Google it later and find it, and I'd encourage you to read the whole thing. Part of it says this, to watch parents act as if they're helpless in the presence of disobedient children is pitiful. God requires that children obey because it's possible for parents to require obedience. Little children under a year old, can be shown effectively what they may not touch or bite or pull or poke or spit out or shriek at. Parents require obedience of your children. So you um, parents of younger kids or even parents-to-be, part of this is deciding now um, what things are going to be off limits, what things are going to be over the line. What things are gonna be non-negotiable for you? As I said already, so, you know, the word no in protest was, that that just got immediate correction. Um, You know, any back talk to mom that I heard, just, we're on that, we're we're gonna go deal with that now. Um, And of course, any kind of direct willful obedience where it's so clear what you've asked them to do and they look at you and do the other thing. We're, we just decided we were never going to get used to any of those, no matter how many times they happened. So you should decide, if you haven't yet, what, is, what are those trigger things? What, what are those, those things you're just not going to be soft on, you're not going to accept, you're not going to put up with, and you're not going to get used to them? Now, now, each family won't have the same list of things that are totally off-limits, you know, those trigger things. That's fine. I think in some ways, as I compare notes with other parents, um, I've learned that in some ways we've been loose on these things over here. Oh, you, you guys are really concerned about that? Yeah, we don't care. And then we were really, you know, picky about these other things that other parents weren't so um, concerned about. We're not all going to agree, um, but let each of us be convinced in our own minds and let's each family decide what's off limits and stick to it. Fourth thesis here is that discipline requires consequences for disobedience. Discipline requires consequences for disobedience. And here we're starting to get into what we call physical discipline or spankings. Now in general, just discipline, whether we're talking verbal correction or physical, It's painful, but it's loving and it's needed. And we get this from God Himself. I mean, Proverbs 3, Hebrews 12 quotes it My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises, excuse me, every son whom He receives. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. So when our children um, knowingly dis- disobey us, there should be some consequences. And what form should that take? Well, we've already established that Hebrew word for discipline uh, has a wide semantic range, and it can, be, it can be instruction, and it can be correction and rebuke. It can be verbal, and it can also be physical and when it's physical, Proverbs speaks of it in terms of this instrument called the rod. It's what it's called. It's a, it's a thing. It's a tangible thing. So here are some Proverbs about the rod. 13, verse 24, whoever spares the rod, what's the next phrase? Spoils the child is the most Common way where we talk about this, I think it was Benjamin Franklin or Abe Lincoln that came up with that, but it's actually, that's a softer version than we find in Proverbs. Proverbs says, whoever spares the rod hates the son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him Proverbs 22.15 Folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23.13 and 14 Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod he will not die. If you strike him with the rod you'll save his soul from death. Now, let me give some quick qualifications before you wonder. There is a thing called child abuse and it is sinful and wrong and harmful to kids. And what Proverbs talks about as the rod is not the same thing. It's loving, it's corrective, it's restorative, as we'll see in just a bit. Child abuse is a thing and some people indeed understandably have some struggle with what the Bible says about the rod because they were abused as children or because they're afraid that they'll do it in anger. So we should clarify as well that a parent should never be out of control when bringing this kind of discipline to their kids. I like John Piper's definition of biblical spanking. He says, It is a measured deliverance of a non damaging act of pain that makes the child feel the seriousness of what he's done. It gets their attention. It helps them remember. I believe one of my kids has said, I think I can remember every one of our spankings, which is a a lot like um, uh, Pete Rose, didn't he? He got. Um, 3,000 RBIs, and he can remember every single one of them? That's a lot. My kids, I don't know how many they got. They may have gotten 3,000 spankings or more, but they remember every one of them? That's, that's crazy, but it's, a, it's effective. So I don't believe that Proverbs just sort of generally talks about discipline and then expects parents to decide on any form that they choose. Of course, I recognize that not every kid is the same. I recognize that um, there are forms of discipline that are not spanking. Yes, that, that, those can be useful at times. Um, of course, I, I should make clear that I don't think that spanking is a good form of discipline into teen years. Um, it just gets weird, right? And so, yeah, that, I just, that's just common sense, and Proverbs didn't even need to address that for us. But what but, but Proverbs does talk about is this, this consistent form with this specific instrument, um, and it, it keeps talking about it, and it doesn't even just suggest it as an option, but it actually commands parents to use it. And so Proverbs could have spoken of these things in just general terms. It could have kept using that that word discipline with its broad semantic range and then leaving parents to figure out whether that means for them nose in the corner, um, flick in the ear, you know, uh, put some hot sauce under your tongue, on and on it goes, I don't know. No, it keeps instead talking about... uh, a specific thing, a physical, tangible thing that's applied to the backside where God, as one author put it, where God has placed this bullseye with a nice bit of padding to it. Yes. And you can argue with the Bible's prescription of that form of physical correction. And you can say it's nonsensical to address Billy hitting his sister by in a sense, hitting Billy. Okay, but here's where if we doubt it, we we just probably should just trust what God says in his word. Take it as a, a matter of faith. It's sort of like the Lord's Supper. I mean, Jesus gave us this meal. You partake of it weekly here as a church. Bread, cup, okay? And you might wonder, is that really doing anything? well, you know what, just keep doing it. Just keep obeying Jesus. You know, don't, you don't need to wonder whether it's working. It, it, sometimes you notice it is working, right? You do remember, you are moved by the, the cup or the bread. Um, but But when you don't feel that, then you just walk by faith and trust the Lord and partake of it again. And if you say, well... We've tried spankings, um, and they just don't work. I mean, they just don't, they don't work for us. Well, okay, we certainly have had seasons where it does not seem to be effective, and so we would call Sarah's parents who were better at this sort of stuff than my side of the family was, and we would say, man, we're spanking, and it's just, nothing's happening. They're not, they're not taking it. <laughs> they're not getting it. And they'd say, just keep at it. Just keep at it. So it's possible if you say it doesn't work for my kid um, that it's been done inconsistently, or uh, ineffectively, or insufficiently, or, or you just need to press on and trust the Lord. Now, I, I can't go into any more specifics right now than, than that. I mean, you might have questions about, okay, well how, and what instrument do you actually use? Um, you know, how hard, how many hits, what age, etc etc et, cetera, et cetera. Um, You can ask uh, Sarah and I some questions along those lines during the Q&A time, so be thinking of those if you have any more. I'd also recommend um, a book I have up here. It's called Spanking, A Loving Discipline by Roy Lesson. This is very, very helpful stuff. I'm thankful for this courageous man to write it and put it in print and make it public. Um, and it's very practical uh, that that would help you as well fifth the fifth thesis i have for discipline is discipline is it's both corrective and restorative so we've already hinted at this as well discipline is corrective and restorative the correction part means that something is to change whether that's behavior or attitude we're seeking change to take place and so if we're disciplining for an outburst of anger and then after the spanking little tommy is just as angry as he was before or maybe even more angry because that hurt there's no change there there's no correction that has taken place so a change should take place correction needs to take place but but it's also restorative it's restorative and so you can, think of, um, you can think of sin and discipline along these lines, that sin breaks fellowship with mom and dad, and discipline is a moment where we can seek to restore it. We can seek to restore it. We can seek to bring them towards uh, repentance. And so at this point, I want to say something about the tone and the tenor of your home in relation to discipline. Discipline. Sarah and I determined that our our home would be a generally happy home. So that was just going to be the atmosphere. Warmth, acceptance, love, smiles. Uh, We weren't going to be, you know, easily aggravated. We weren't going as, as best as we could by God's grace. We weren't going to sort of let the atmosphere be these kids driving me crazy and everyone knows it and the kids know it we we just we were going to fight against that as much as we could and then when discipline was needed then we would just step in and there would be this interruption in the atmosphere of warmth and love and peace and smiles but then once the discipline was over Uh, We directed our kids afterwards back to whatever they were doing before. We considered at a young age that their play was essentially their job, right? That's what kids do. That's that's their job assignment at, at, at two and three. And so if you were playing and then sin and discipline took place, all right, restoration, back to playing. With your crocodile tears, back to playing now. Okay, there you go. And, uh, and, and there was a restoration. And then, and then there was a, a restoration, not just in the relationship, but a, a return to an atmosphere of love and, and joy and purpose and acceptance and smiles. So discipline works best not when you've been at an eight in frustration for four hours and you can take it no longer and something threw you to a nine, boom, that's it. It works best as this momentary interruption of an otherwise atmosphere of joy and peace and acceptance and and ease. You can think of it in terms of um, the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. So Mount Sinai quakes. There's thunder and lightning and smoke at the top of Mount Sinai and you better not touch the mountain or you die. And then there's Mount Zion. And all is good in Mount Zion. And so think of your home, it's Mount Zion. Your home is Mount Zion, 90 however much percent of the time. But then every now and then, Mount Sinai actually needs to to quake, right? It needs to be this thing that exposes sin and sort of drives us helpless and hopeless to the gospel looking outside ourselves. And the last thesis I have, discipline takes the long view. And here I have a few different things to say. One is that um, discipline can prevent lifelong misery and even eternal misery. So that's in the Proverbs, right? We've read some of those already. Like if you strike with the rod, you'll save his soul from death and hell right Um, or Proverbs 19 18 discipline your son for there is hope do not set your heart on putting him to death so discipline can help prevent lifelong misery even eternal misery it's important to think of what does this five year old behavior look like at 25 what does that translate This kind of trouble with mom and dad right now, how will that not be trouble with the authorities when they're adults? And so that's at stake. But then, of course, salvation is at stake. And yet, let's be clear that discipline is not the gospel. It might be part of the gospel, just like Mount Sinai is useful in getting us to Mount Zion. But Mount Sinai is not enough. The law is not enough. And so here I want to say something about the, the role of prayer and the gospel in relation to spankings. Because some books on parenting um, recommend that when you have a moment of discipline, uh, after the spanking happens, you talk about perhaps what they did. They, you know, maybe you try to talk about things on a heart Level, but then they would maybe suggest that there's a fresh presentation of the gospel at that point, and then maybe even a prayer where Johnny asks the Lord for forgiveness, and then that's it. Well, this is just one man's theory, and and I guess I'm not alone, but um, you know, the Bible isn't explicit on whether to do that or not. We, we rarely did that. We rarely talked about the gospel in close proximity to spankings, and here's why. Number one, I didn't want my primary gospel conversations with my kids to be in the spanking closet, right? Um, I, I wanted our best gospel conversations at our kitchen table during dessert you know, with smiles on her face. I didn't want our kids to too closely associate this thing that needed to happen to correct their, their behavior and attitude to them getting saved. Um, and a second reason is that I just didn't wanna commit myself to every spanking being this 15 to 20 minute experience that has to go through Gospel conversation, prayer, and then, you know, whether God's forgiven them or not. You know what? My kids needed more spankings than I had time for a gospel presentation every single time they got a spanking. And so spankings often went like this. Well, you chose a spanking, didn't you? Get in there. Come on, let's go. And then there's the spanking, and then we hug, and I would hug for as long as they wanted to hug, But then, you know I love you, right? Yep. All right, get back to playing. That's it. So just one person's thought, my wife agrees. Um, Discipline helps toward the gospel. It isn't the gospel. And it may not be useful for your best gospel moments to be in the spanking closet. I say spanking closet because we happen to have a walk-in closet, and that's where ours were done. It was, it was the holy of holies, you could say. It's, uh, there, there are no windows, no one sees, and uh, anyway, well, now we're beginning to talk about practical things. So if you have practical things in mind that you want to talk about um, in our Q&A, then we'll certainly do that, and, um, and we'll stop here for now on this talk on discipline.